42! Blue, 42! Hut, hut, hike! This is The Game Managers on WJLX 101.5, America's one and only sports talk show. Breaking down college football's biggest games, latest news, and greatest moments. Are you ready? Because it starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Game Managers Podcast. I'm Nick Norris, and with me not this week, just tonight, not able to get our schedules together, I am here in Douglasville, Georgia, recording this episode late Saturday night. Justin would have needed to record tomorrow, just didn't work out. He's going to be back next week. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, we've been back together, but don't you worry. Don't you fret your little sleepy head. We are going to be the game managers once again sooner rather than later more bad news though it was a tough day for the state of alabama as both the tide and the tigers fell to sec opponents saturday and it couldn't get any worse until the brave season also ended yesterday as well we're going to talk all about that and more including the biggest games of the weekend and looking ahead to the rest of the season for the Tide and the Tigers. First, though, we have to go over the news of the week. The defending World Series champs had their season end Saturday as the Braves fell 8-3 to the Phillies in the NLDS. Focus now shifts to the offseason as Atlanta now must negotiate with Dansby Swanson if they hope to re-sign the shortstop, who is entering free agency. Now, he was asked today about that. He said his focus is not on the future necessarily, just on the present, what he can control. But I don't think any of us truly believe that. It has had to have been something he has thought about quite a bit, discussed with his agents, his family, and now that will be his focus, I'm sure. So, interesting to see if he will return to the Braves or the Braves will have to move on yet another big loss on their roster, just like last season. In other news, talking about big losses, NASCAR champion Kurt Busch is going to miss the rest of the season with a concussion, and he will not compete full-time in 2023. The 44-year-old made his announcement Saturday at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, his home track, and where he launched his career on the bullring as a child. He actually choked up. And he said doctors told him that it is best for him to, quote, shut it down. Bush said Tyler Reddick will replace him in the number 45 Toyota at 23XI Racing next season. And finally in news, another woman has filed a civil lawsuit against Deshaun Watson, alleging the suspended Cleveland Browns quarterback pressured her into oral sex during a massage session in 2020. This is the 26th known lawsuit filed against Watson, accusing him of inappropriate sexual misconduct or sexual assault during massages. In the lawsuit filed Thursday in Harris County, Texas, Watson is accused of soliciting the plaintiff over Instagram with a direct message for a massage at a Houstonian hotel room in Texas in December of 2020 while he was a member of the Texans. 
The lawsuit states that during the season, Watson, quote, continually pressured the plaintiff into massaging his private area, unquote, before he removed his towel and offered, quote, to let her get on top. Mm. According to the lawsuit, the plaintiff, quote, refused to have relations with Watson. However, he was able to pressure her into other other things. Won't go into detail here. Watson paid the plaintiff $300 for her services, although her normal charge was $115 for an hour massage. Now, Watson has settled 23 of the lawsuits against him this past summer, but one remains outstanding. And Tony Busby, who also represented the other woman, is the one suing. Mm. This is a very troubled situation here. 26 different women now, all accusing of very similar scenarios where they have been pressured into doing things they're not comfortable with during massages. Uh, it's heavy stuff, and it's always nice to assume someone is innocent until proven guilty. However, it is also important that we uh, take these these allegations uh, seriously, that the women are to be believed as well. And it is something that it will be, I guess it will be determined in court, unless it is decided outside of court, as 23 of these have been. Mm. We need to move on to something a little lighter, though. That was some pretty heavy stuff, so... How about we go to our weird news segment of the week, Miss Managers. Peculiar and wonderful and terrible and bad, mismanagement and mystery and dreams you never had. Grizzly or grievous or beavers with cleavers, audacity and specialty and used to drive you mad. It's a wonder any one of us can manage to survive in a world of, world of mismanagers. All right, just like last week, I have not read through these stories. I have no idea what they are, what they are about. We're going to jump right into them. This is by shepherdexpress.com. They do the news of the weird, and this is for the week of October 13th, 2022. The first story here is titled Overstimulated. A British artist known as Mr. Doodle, real name Sam Cox, has doodled throughout his entire mansion in Tenderton, Kent, United Press International reported on October 4th. Everything is covered. Walls, furniture, kitchen appliances, textiles, floors, ceilings. Cox shared the doodle house with the world on a YouTube video, taking viewers through the process from stark white to completely doodled. It took him two years, 240 gallons of white paint, 401 cans of black spray paint, and almost 2,300 black pins to complete the project. His wife, Alina, is all in with the doodle decor. That's nice. Not weird enough, though. Let's move on. Great art is the title of this one. Keith Tyson of Sheffield, England, has maintained a striking topiary he calls Gloria in his front garden since 2000. The bush depicts a woman lying back in a reclining position with her knees bent, but MSN reported Tyson has problems with random, random quote, drunken <laughs> men entering his yard usually during the night and becoming intimate with the shrub. For one thing, he said the noise wakes him up, but more disturbing, the act damages Gloria's figure. Oh wow, uh, oof, this gets uh, this gets a lot. They um, not gonna read that. So they damage it, they climb on top of it. Wow, now Tyson is begging his community to leave Gloria alone. One Twitter user suggested he grow a thorny vine through her to deter the assaults. Probably not a bad idea. 
also unhinged to just uh, find a, a plant attractive. I can't say I've ever done that. Hopefully I don't. I don't think I will. So it's a bit odd. Yes, me. This one's titled The American Tourist. On October 5th, an American man who appeared to be about 50 years old asked to see Pope Francis at the Vatican in Rome. When he was told that he would that would not be possible, he hurled a Roman bust to the floor in the... Wow. Then upset a second one as he rushed out. The man was detained by Vatican police and turned over to Italian authorities. Both statues were around 2,000 years old. Press office uh, decorator Matteo Alessandrini said the busts were, quote, affixed to the shelves with a nail, but if you pull them down with force, they will come off. He said restoration work had already begun. Wow. Leave it to Americans. Uh, we are we are the worst. If you think about it, we do a lot of terrible things. Also, unhinged. Just be like, yeah, let me see the Pope. You don't think he's got stuff going on? You don't think he's busy? You just think he's got time to just meet a random American tourist? It's interesting. This one's titled The Other Border. KTUU-TV reported that on October 4th, a small boat carrying two men landed near the community of Gamble on northern St. Lawrence Island, Alaska. According to the town clerk, Curtis Luke, the men told villagers they had sailed over 300 miles in northeastern Russia and were trying to escape the Russian military draft. Senator Dan Sullivan conferred with the Department of Homeland Security and Governor Mike Dunleavy said they were transported to Anchorage where federal authorities were sorting out their status. We don't anticipate a continual stream of individuals or flotillas, Dunleavy said. Mm. It's tough. Uh, a lot of stuff going on in Russia. Not good stuff. They're back as the villains. I don't know if you noticed that. So we kind of had that in the 80s. Now they're, they're bad guys again, aren't they? I mean, they probably already have been, but now really bad guys. That's, that's not too fun. Uh, I think we have two here. This is titled Inexplicable. Tyler Monk, 34 years old, an exterminator in Kinder, Louisiana, is changing. That is, his skin is darkening from white to black, apparently because he briefly tried Prozac in January of 2021 to help with anxiety. Quote, the fact is, doctors don't know why I'm changing colors, Monk said. After two months, Monk's arms and face took on a grayish tone that continued to darken even after he stopped the drug. First, they thought it was photosensitivity, but I've been covering up and I'm still getting darker, he said. He has seen eight specialists and more appointments are on his calendar. His family is supportive. Quote, we don't really mind the color change as long as he's healthy and okay with it, said his wife, Emily. That's unfortunate. That's, uh, that's wild. Here's another one under the inexplicable category. Time to decorate the man cave. Three men were arrested on September 24th in Hernando County, Florida, after an off-duty detective spied them using saws to cut traffic lights off the poles. By the time deputies arrived at the scene, the men had put three lights into their van. Aaron Wood, James Donnelly, and Oleski Nomenku was arrested for theft and admitted to stealing the lights. Each is valued at $5,000. I did not know those were so expensive. That's wild. We've got a lot more stories here. Let me just pick a couple more. I don't don't want to bore us here. How about... This one is titled, Oops. The Bay County, Florida Sheriff's Department has declared it's, quote, officially out of the bonfire business after an incident at a Crawford Mosley High School in Lynn Haven on October 5th. The Panama City News Herald reported, although the agency has assisted with bonfires for many years, the 2022 homecoming event blew up when the bonfire literally exploded. No one was injured and firefighters were already on hand as a precaution. Sheriff Tammy Ford said it was unclear what had caused the explosion, but his agency would take responsibility for the incident. The district also announced it would no longer host bonfire events. Wow. 
Wow. Okay, one more. Let's do one more. We'll do the last one. Is it genius or is it sad? A Lithuanian potato chip company called Chas has introduced a new limited edition flavor that's intended to cater to oh, uh, intimately starved millennials. The oh wow. I can't say that word, but they're the the flavor crisps will transport consumers to quote your wildest love adventures, your first real love. The chess team is young, bold, and socially responsible, they say. And the snack is meant for those who are brave and free. The company also suggests the chips can be, chips can be a humor, humorous gift or can, quote, initiate a romantic evening. Unfortunately, at this time, they're only available in Europe. That sounds terrible. If you saw the word that this is a... Uh, you know what? I'm not even sure what this is. There's a few things this could be flavored as. It's blanked out here. I thought one thing initially, now I'm thinking another. I don't know. If you're interested in seeing what this tastes, either way, it's not it's not going to taste. I wouldn't buy these. Don't buy these. Don't do it. You're not. Mm -mm. Well, okay. Well, moving on. Look, we got to go to a break. When we come back, though, we're actually going to talk about football. Some of the biggest games, Alabama and Auburn's losses. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Game Managers on WJLX 101.5. Welcome back to The Game Managers. I'm Nick Norris, and we are about to talk about all the games of the weekend. And I think it's fitting we start with the most dramatic Saturday. Alabama traveling to Knoxville. And for the first time in 15 years, the Vols getting the win in the rivalry series. Whew, now, this was a tough one for Alabama fans as the Tide fell 52-49 to to the sixth-ranked team in the nation. Number three Tide now 6-1. and one. We'll see what they drop to in the rankings. After 15 years of being a rival to Alabama in name only, Tennessee snapped that humbling losing streak. Hmm. Chase McGrath made a 40-yard field goal as time expired to give number 6 Tennessee the 52-49 victory on Saturday. Now, this was an interesting kick. It looked like a dying duck. I thought it was going to be short. Most certainly was not. Not to mention that it looked as though it was going to go into overtime as the whistle was not blown. Two seconds left initially, and time expired. However, that was uh, proven to be a mistake. Time was put back on the clock, and Tennessee wins the game. Now, it's one thing to lose to Tennessee. It's another thing to lose to Tennessee by letting them put 50 points up on the board. Bryce Young, though, had a very good game. 35 for 52, 455 yards, two touchdowns. He did all he could do, as well as Jameer Gibbs, who had three touchdowns. 24 carries, over 100 yards, a 26-long run. Still, it was not enough. As a hooker for Tennessee, he made 21 of 30 uh, passes, 385 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. What a game for the Tennessee quarterback. They also had a couple touchdowns on the ground. Small and Fance both found the end zone on some runs there. This was Tennessee's game. Tennessee played their best game. They did what it took. They they won. I mean, they they won it outright. Now a lot of people are going to blame this loss on the penalties. 
Alabama, I believe it was 17 penalties. Um, broke some records with that many. I believe Tennessee had six. I've already seen Facebook posts from Alabama fans saying, we lost this game because of the refs. The refs screwed us over. Okay, well, you still allowed 52 points to be put up on the board. So, don't put it all on the refs. Did the refs help? Probably not. But football players, all players are taught as they're playing, and they're taught this all the way in Little League. As a player, you were playing against the other team, and you were also playing against the refs. There's no excuses. Even if the refs are atrocious, which I didn't think they were. I just thought Alabama made a lot of mistakes. Even if the refs are atrocious, you don't blame it on them. You're you're playing against everyone. And Alabama just didn't win. And that's, you know, that's it was bound to happen. The streak was not going to last forever, unfortunately. It'd be nice if it could, but it didn't. So, you know, it's not the end of the world for Alabama. In fact, this could play out to be very interesting. This is exactly what needed to happen for there to be three SEC teams to make the playoffs. If Tennessee wins out, except for the Georgia game, and Georgia beats Tennessee, and Georgia wins out, and Alabama wins out and beats Georgia in the SEC championship, you will have a one-loss Tennessee, a one-loss Georgia, a one-loss Alabama, with all their losses coming to one another. Top 10 teams. It'd be hard to pick one or two of those to go into the playoff, the 14 playoff, and not all three. That would be absolutely incredible if we had three SEC teams make a four-team college football playoff I don't think it'll happen I don't think they would let it happen even if they were the three best teams they're not voting that that would be a a nightmare for ratings no one outside of the southeast would watch that playoff and you can't have that if it's at the end of the day the college football playoff is a business it needs to generate money we like to think that it is a perfect a, a perfect system that they that the voters will pick the right thing no matter what. But that's just not true. Okay, it's a business. It makes money. They want to get those big markets in. If it was if if it was up to them, they would have, you know, an Alabama or a Georgia, one of them. They'd have a USC, they'd have a Notre Dame, they'd have like an Ohio State or Michigan or Washington. They want all those markets, right? It doesn't make sense financially for there to be three SEC teams. Now I'd love it. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be really funny. I think a lot of people would be upset. I don't think it'll happen. But Alabama season not over by any means. The Tide can win out. We'll definitely make the SEC the SEC championship and, of course, the playoffs if they were to win out. No doubt about it. But I don't know that that's going to happen. I don't know that this Alabama team is capable of winning out. Now, I think they may win out their regular season, but I don't think they're going to win against Georgia. I hate to say that. I don't like Georgia, I say, as I'm sitting here in the outskirts of Atlanta. But I just don't think they are capable of that now. Now, they may be by that time rolls around. Teams develop, teams you know, mess, they start to play better. Is that going to happen, though? Maybe. 
crazier things have happened. In, in fact, if anything, this will probably light a fire under this team. It's definitely going to light a fire under head coach Nick Saban. So yeah, let's see what Alabama has coming up in the future. Now the Tide, after their loss to Tennessee, they are going to travel to Mississippi State. That won't be an easy win, but I think it will be a win. They'll have their off week before they travel to LSU. Then they will travel to Ole Miss. That is going to be the hardest game left on the schedule. They get a cupcake at home with Austin P, and then they finish off the year with Auburn, who very well may be coachless by that point. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. So yeah, it is very doable that Alabama wins out the regular season. In fact, it is probably likely that they will. But I'm not so sure that they will win out and win the SEC championship. I'd love it if they did. I hope they do. But I haven't seen enough to think that this team can beat Georgia just yet. We have to move on, though. Let's talk about the other big game of the week for this state. Auburn and Ole Miss. Auburn putting up a fight against the number ninth ranked team in the country, but coming up short as they have often here recently. Auburn falling to a losing record, three and four, as Ole Miss advances to a perfect seven and zero. Oh. This game was close. It actually was close. It wasn't at first. Uh, Ole Miss got up. I want to say. I know it was 14 nothing, but I want to say maybe it was 21 nothing or 23, 21-7, something like that. Um, and it wasn't looking good. I thought for sure they were going to be it was going to be a blowout, but Auburn answered in the second and third quarters, putting up 17 in the second, 14 in the third. Unfortunately, Ole Miss running away with it in the fourth quarter, as has seemed to happen here lately with Auburn not being able to finish in the second half now of course people are already calling for Brian Horson's job and before we get into this game anymore let's talk a little bit about that now I've said multiple times on this show that I think Brian Horson is a good coach and I still think that I think he is not the fit for Auburn and I don't think he's going to get any better at Auburn I hate to say that I really wanted him to do well there that being said, I am seeing so many reporters, talking heads, people with positions of influence demanding that Auburn fire this man. That doesn't sit well with me. I don't like for anyone to call for someone's job. Now, if, the, if he did something truly despicable outside of football, that's one thing, you know? I don't mind if somebody gets their job called for if it's like a Jerry Sandusky thing or, you know, not even that severe, but something awful, right? But I, it doesn't, I don't like it when a coach is, is when these, these people that have this influence, these people on the radio, on TV, on social media that have these big followings say, fire this man. He deserves to be fired. That just doesn't sit well with me. I have my own opinion on what Auburn should do, and I'm not going to share it because it's not my place to try to get a man fired. That's not cool. Now, 
fans can voice their opinions. That's one thing. They don't. That's different, right? I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people that have influence, that have a national following. I don't like that. So, that being said, it's not working well. Now, it is just the second year, right? I, I think there should be a two-year minimum for most coaches. You know, I think that usually coaches need two years to get it together at the new school, right? Not everybody's going to come in and Nick saving it and get to the SEC championship in year two. It's just not realistic. Now, do I think Auburn is capable of more than they have shown? Absolutely. Definitely. They should be better. That being said, I'm not I'm not willing to sit here and say Brian Harson deserves to be fired. That's just my opinion though. Robbie Ashford, quarterback. He was 8 for 17, 140 yards, two picks. That never helps. Of course, the offensive line continuing to be an issue here for the Tigers. Tank Bigsby had 20 carries, 179 yards, two touchdowns. He had a 50-long break there. But Ole Miss and Dart, quarterback, getting after it. 9 for 19, 130 yards, three touchdowns, a pick. And uh, Judkins rushing for 25 carries, 139 yards, two touchdowns. Evans also had a touchdown on the ground as well. Ole Miss, a force to be reckoned with, a high-powered offense. Very, uh, very impressive performance here. And just a lackluster, just upsetting performance by Auburn. Like I said, a lot of bright spots. At times, they looked, they looked pretty good. They were hanging in there. They just could not sustain it. They could not keep it going. TJ Finley fumbling again today, as well as Robbie Ashford. Finley's having a hard time, and well, Ashford is having a hard time holding on to the ball. Auburn quarterbacks not able to hold on to the rock and tote it, it seems. May need to do some more drills in practice in that regard. As for Auburn, though, the Tigers looking ahead. Arkansas is next up on the schedule after a week off. Then at Mississippi State, hosting Texas A&M, hosting Western Kentucky, and then traveling to Alabama. A tough stretch, as all of Auburn's schedule always is a tough stretch, the entirety of the thing. So, look to see uh, some news on Brian Harson. I, uh, I don't know that he's going to make it the rest of the season. Going into a bye week, this may be... Uh, this may be where the boosters make a move. This may be where they decide to part ways. I think it's very possible that's going to happen. So, Auburn now 3-4. and four, And we will see where they end up at the end of the season. Fighting for bowl eligibility. And not looking promising. Another big game. TCU rallying from behind for, and winning 43-40 to in two overtimes over number 8 Oklahoma State. A big upset there for the number 13 Horn Frogs. They were down in a hurry in their biggest game so far. And they were able to be uh, pull out clutch there. What a game. Uh, Sanders for Oklahoma State, 16 for 36, 245 yards, a touchdown and a pick. But Duggan for TCU, 23 for 40. 286 yards and two touchdowns. 
and Miller on the ground with two touchdowns, 104 yards on 22 carries. This was a very entertaining game. I love any overtime game. I was hoping the Alabama-Tennessee game would go in that direction. It surely did not. But what a game. And always great to see so many top 10 teams go down this week. That's not the only one either. Let's talk about USC and Utah. USC, a favorite for the playoff prior to the season. And a promising start. However, falling short to number 20, Utah. 43-42, to a close one. Caleb Williams did all he could do for the Trojans, though. 25 for 42, 381 yards, five touchdowns through the air. He is absolutely killing it. Definitely going to be in the Heisman race, it seems. For Utah, though, Rising was 30 for 44, 415 yards, two touchdowns himself. What what a game. This one was a lot of fun. Um, Rising, of course, also had three touchdowns on the ground. On 60 yards, wow. Uh, a great night for quarterbacks. A true display of, of, of great talent, of hard work. All paying off. So much fun watching this one. Though my favorite game of the day. Um, loved, loved to see it. And glad that USC lost. Although, all the best for Caleb Williams. He is a, he is a true, true talent. Very good on him. One more game let's talk about. Let's talk about Clemson and FSU. Clemson, number four team in the nation, surviving a scare from the Florida State Seminoles. Clemson now beating Florida State for the seventh straight time. DJ, DJ Ugalele threw for 203 yards, three touchdowns. And number four Clemson forced a momentum turning takeaway to hold off Florida State 34 to 28. Clemson scored on six straight drives, surpassed the 30-point mark for a seventh straight game to open the season. Clemson back in traditional form after a uh, a disappointing year last year. And by disappointing, I think they only lost three games, but back in uh, in full swing of things. DJ Ugalele, 15, 23, 203 yards, three touchdowns. Travis for Florida State, 24 for 42, 254 yards, two touchdowns. Now, the only concern here, obviously, the offense is able to get it done. The concern here, though, for Florida, for Clemson is allowing a team like Florida State, who now has three losses, to put up 28 points on your defense. That's a little scary, right? But um, overall, able to get it done, able to survive. Clemson probably going to jump a spot with Alabama now losing. All right, we got to move on now to our next segment, though. It's time for Professor Knight, even though Professor Knight, not not here. All right, students, gather round and put on your listening ears. It's time to visit the Learning Corner with Professor Knight. What are we learning today, Professor? For today's Professor Knight, I'll be filling in. I'm substitute Nick Norris. Mr. Mr. Nor- I don't like now. Never mind. Uh, I'm here for Justin, and today we're going to look at some of the biggest sporting, uh, biggest events in sports history. Now, this is for Saturday. This is for what now would be yesterday. 1909, in his fourth title def- uh, defense, Jack Johnson KOs Stanley Ketchel in the 12th round at Mission State Arena in California to retain his heavyweight and boxing crown. Who all remembers that? What a great. Great moment in 1909. 1936, Lou Gehrig is voted AL MVP. 
Uh, he's, he was pretty good, wasn't he? I've heard a thing or two about him. In 1968, getting closer to the modern era, Americans Tommy Smith and John Carlos famously give the Black Power salute on the 200-meter medal podium during the Mexico City Olympics to protest racism and injustice against African Americans. Very iconic photo there. I'm sure you've seen it. Tommy Smith getting gold, John Carlos getting bronze there in the games. 1978, we had the test debut of uh, Kapil Dev in India versus Pakistan. And in 1983, we had the Ryder Cup golf. U.S. wins, uh, and Bernard Gallagher's missed three-foot putt for bogey gives Tom Watson a 2-1 win and the U.S. winning point. A few years later, 1987, defending champion Mike Tyson beats Tyrell Biggs by TKO in round seven at Convention Center, Atlantic City, New Jersey, retains his unified heavyweight boxing title. And in 1995, Brian Lawrence scores 169 in Shara ODI versus Sri Lanka. In 2004, 17-year-old Lionel Messi makes his league debut for Barcelona in a 1-0 win against crosstown rivals Espanyol at the Estadi Olympic Luis Companies Barcelona. Next year, in 2005, Renovalt driver Fernando Alonso wins the season-ending Chinese Grand Prix at Shanghai International Circuit, the first Spanish Formula One World Drivers' Champion. He wins by 21 points. And in 2016, Ed Whitlock at 85 becomes the oldest person to complete a, a marathon under four hours at Toronto Waterfront Marathon in three hours and 56 minutes. All right, we got to go to a break. But when we come back, we're going to give out our weekly awards, the TG Emmy. So stay tuned. Good evening, and welcome back to The Game Managers, where we are about to give out the most prestigious awards in the sporting world, the TG Emmys. I am Nick Norris, and we are going to get right into the thick of things here. First award I have is the most entertaining celebration, and this award is going to go to Tennessee. Their fans uprooted the goalposts taking it to several bars in Knoxville before dumping it in the river. Unhinged, a lot of fun. I quite liked this. This was a, this was a, good, a good little fun moment, I think. Uh, the award for most deserving rejection. I don't know if you saw this video circulating on social media, but a shirtless Islanders fan proposed to his girlfriend in the stands of the game. Um... He obviously got rejected. I don't understand why why anyone proposes to their partner at sporting events. First of all, proposing to someone in a super crowded public place, terrifying. You're forcing them basically into saying yes or humiliating you. Also, sporting events aren't romantic unless she is just a huge diehard fan and this is always her dream and she has specifically said that it is her dream maybe don't do that because it never works out every time I see this somebody gets slapped in the face or they run off or they're crying the guy has to sit there and drink a beer sad alone for the rest of the game they keep putting the camera on him he's on the jumbotron don't do it save yourself and her the heartache do it somewhere. Not go to the beach. 
Do it, do it with her family. A nice restaurant. Put in a little wine glass. What are you doing? Shirtless? At a baseball game? You think she's going to say yes? Why would she? Good stuff, though. The fun thing about me, I watch a lot of uh, complication, compilations on YouTube of people getting rejected in proposals. And I 100% think that one day I am going to as karma for me getting so much enjoyment out of watching other people get it rejected. Is that wrong? Yes. But I, it, I, I find it entertaining for some reason. Uh, Justin has an award for us this week. He texted it over to me, the I Told You So Award. He's given this to himself because he told me that Tennessee would win over Alabama when I said they would definitely choke. So congratulations to Justin. He just gave himself an award. What a hero. That was so brave of you, Justin. Congratulations. Mm. Best of the week. Our award for best of the week goes to the Guardians, scoring three runs in the bottom of the ninth to beat the Yankees. Uh, great entertaining inning there. And bust of the week, the opposite of the best of the week, goes to Devontae Adams, who has been charged with misdemeanor assault by the cameraman he shoved after Monday Night Football. I'm sure you've seen the video of this by now. Um, what a lucky guy. I would love to be that cameraman. Just get that money. Mm. It'd be nice. That'd be nice. Maybe one day. Maybe one day I can be so lucky. I could, I could have something so wonderful happen to me. I can only dream. Now, it's time we go to our final segment of the week. Listener letters. Go getters, write letters. We're the ones who read them. Please don't stop writing in to fill the time we need them. We are reading letters. The letters wrote by you. If you'd like to reach the show, you can do so by emailing us at gamemanagerspod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGMPod. Send us a message there if you don't mind. So, first letter here comes from Garrett. He asks, Is Alabama as a program getting worse, or is everyone else getting better? This is a good question and something that a lot of people have been debating for some time now. And there's not a clear answer. There are some things that Alabama has gotten worse at. Defense has been worse. In the last five years, defense has taken a backseat for the Alabama football program. Now, this is not just a problem for Alabama. This is a problem for every college, every team across the nation. The new rules with targeting, with the way you can and cannot tackle, it makes it difficult to have a sound defense. Used to, wide receivers were afraid to run across the middle, right? Now you can run across the middle all day, not really have to worry about getting laid out. No cheap shots, right? And that's good. That's how it should be. We need a safer game. However, the result of that is softer defenses. Well, I, w I shouldn't say softer defenses. I should say more safe defenses and offenses are able to score a lot easier and because of that Alabama like the rest of the college football world had to adapt they had to change they had to have more high-powered offenses right they couldn't rely on these big slow bulky defenses anymore the linebackers had to be smaller they had to be fast 
uh, to be able to get to the ball, not necessarily lay someone out. And because of this, offenses are more important now than defenses. It's just the way it is. The old saying that offense sells tickets, defense wins championships just isn't true anymore. Defenses don't win championships. Offenses do. That's just how it is. And so, yeah, Alabama has gotten a little worse in that regard, but their offense over the past five years has gotten significantly better. And I would say those two things negate each other, right? Used to, Alabama would score through anywhere from 3 to 21 points and get a win. Nowadays, they're putting up 50 a game. Now, the other part of the question, is everyone getting better? Yeah, they are. Coaches have figured it out. They're, they're learning. They're adapting. They're adapting the Alabama method, right? They are, and, and the same thing with the, the problem with defenses. Go recruit a bunch of fast, a fast players, a, a, a highly, highly talented quarterback. You're going to do okay, right? You can just go into a shootout with just about anyone as long as you've got the talent. And so that's that's kind of where we're at. I don't think Alabama has gotten worse as a program, but I do think everyone else is catching up. We see it with Georgia. Kirby Smart used to work for Nick Saban. He has very much taken a Nick Saban approach to the job there, and he has had a lot of success. Dabo Swinney, very similar program to Alabama, a lot of success. People are figuring it out. The code's getting cracked. Nick Saban, still by far the greatest coach in college football history. But when you're that great, eventually other people will start to copy you. And I think that's what we're seeing. He has completely revolutionized college football. And when you do that, other people are going to get on board. And so, yeah, the competition is better than it used to be. I don't think Alabama is getting worse. I just think everyone else is getting better. We have another email. This one comes from James. He asked for the prediction for Georgia-Tennessee. That is a great question. and some A game that a lot of people are going to be looking forward to watching. Um, I'm going to pull it up real quick online and see exactly what we are expecting here. The game's November 13th. we got a little bit of a ways there. I do think both teams will be undefeated by this point. Oh, sorry, looking at last year's game. My apologies. Here we go. November November 5th. I apologize. I do think both teams will be undefeated at this point. At this moment, ESPN's matchup predictor gives Georgia a 75.9% chance of winning. I don't agree with that. I think that's way too high. But, um, I mean, we can't dispute that as of yet. Obviously, that is going to change over the next couple of weeks as we get to this point. Um, this is going to be a fun one. I think it is. I think that um, Tennessee's offense against Georgia's defense is going to be very entertaining. I think Georgia's offense very capable of putting up points, as we know at this point. Number one team in the country, the Bulldogs, is going to be is going to be fun, right? Uh, so before then, though. Georgia is going to try or it's going to host Florida before they host Tennessee. So Georgia, I mean, they could be a little banged up. Georgia, Florida, of course, rivalry game. So by that point, Georgia could have, Georgia could be a little beat up. Let's see what Tennessee's got before 
the Georgia game. All right, got it pulled up here now. So Georgia, they're going to have a cupcake with UT Martin, but then they got to host Kentucky. That could get them beat up. I mean, Kentucky's a good team. Hmm. And they got to travel to Georgia. That won't be easy, of course. It's a tough place to play. So, yeah, I mean, I um, if I had to bet, unfortunately, I'd pick Georgia. Would love to see Tennessee beat the Bulldogs. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be somewhat high scoring. Um, I'm going to say that I pick Georgia, but I hope for Tennessee to win. Is that fair? I think so. All right, we have one more letter since we have some time here. Uh, this letter comes from John. John asks, Who is the most dominant player in college football right now? That's a hard one. I mean, by this point, we're starting to fill it out. Starting to figure out who it is. Caleb Williams, obviously, up there to discuss. Bryce Young, still there to discuss. Um, so many, so many options. And it's hard, especially when these we don't get to see these teams play each other to really get a good gauge of who is where and who is what and how good is so-and-so and whatnot. I'm going to pull up an article here. I'm going to look up the best current college football players as of right now. Let's see what people are saying. Now, this is from, this is a little dated, and we'll say, oh, here we go, here we go. This is from two days ago from BlueTreeReport.com. Now, this isn't the best, but it is called, this is titled College Football's Most Exciting Players for the 2022 Season. I'm just going to go through this list. I believe there's seven of them. Deuce Vaughn, running back for Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very entertaining. He's got over 1,200 all-purpose yards, nine touchdowns just in 2020. Um, last year. 1800 over 1800 yards 49 receptions 22 scores uh yeah he's a uh he's a baller michael uh micah bernard running back at utah um he was utah's third string back in 2021 rushed for 529 yards on 6.1 per attempt handling 87 carries that's interesting. Yeah, he's a, he's a very good player. Let's see who else. Uh, Beyond Robinson, running back at Texas. Very entertaining. Johnny Richardson, running back at UCF. He had 100 carries. Paced the FBS at 7.1 yards per run. 733 yards, three touchdowns. It's a starter. Uh, Malik Cunningham, quarterback at Louisville. Louisville always has some entertaining quarterbacks, if nothing else. Blake Cunningham, one of the two quarterbacks in FBS history to pass for 300 yards and run for 200 in a game. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> he's a good one. He's a good one to watch. Dwayne McBride, a running back at our very own UAB. I have to agree. Uh, the, uh, the article right here says, If a running back averages five yards per carry, that would safely be considered a quality year. Dwayne McBride has taken that stat to a different level. Since his debut in 2020, he's notched 5.2 yards after contact per attempt. As a true freshman, he rushed for 439 yards, four touchdowns. As a backup to Spencer Brown, 
Last year, he registered thir over 1,300 yards, the 13th most in FBS, and 13 scores. Love to see UAB get any kind of national recognition. Always a fun time. And the last one on the list here, uh, Travion Henderson, running back at Ohio State. Of course, uh, he would make the list. Five-star prospect, jumped past 2020 starter Master Teague III last year. Uh, Henderson scored in his first eight games, finished in the top ten nationally with 19 touchdowns. And for the season, he rushed for over 1,200 yards, caught 27 passes for 312 yards, forced 50 missed tackles, likely will be an All-American selection by the time he leaves. I'd have to agree. All right. Well, look, that's about all the time we have. A little shorter episode this week, but it's hard when uh, I'm the only one here. As you can tell, I'm losing my voice here at the end of this, so probably a good time to wrap it up. But thank you all for listening, tuning in. Whether you're listening on WJLX or on your favorite podcast app, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGM Pod. Feel free to send us a letter, just like Garrett, James, and uh, John did. We appreciate you very much so. And uh, everyone who is uh, who's a little down after this week, hang on. It's not the end of the world. There is still hope for bowl eligibility for Auburn, still hope for a playoff run for Alabama. So hang in there. We will see what exactly happens, what comes from all this. But until then, we'll be back next week, hopefully with one Justin Knight. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you then. Blue 42! Blue 42! Thank you for listening to The Game Managers. Like the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at TGM Pod. Until next week, goodbye, adios, and sayonara.